0: Welcome back to the Perpetual Wealth Podcast, a show for clients of Paradigm Life. This season, we're empowering you to take control of your financial future using the core principles of the Perpetual Wealth Strategy. Now, before we dive in, a quick but essential disclaimer. While this podcast is primarily for our valued clients at Paradigm Life, it's open to anyone interested in enhancing their financial knowledge. However, please remember that our information should not be taken as a direct tax, legal or financial advice. We strongly recommend consulting with a wealth strategist at Paradigm Life or your financial team before making any decisions based on our discussions. Today, we continue our journey into cash flow, protection, and wealth building, the foundational principles of the Perpetual Wealth Strategy. Let's dive in and explore how to optimize your wealth and achieve financial independence. Your journey continues now. Hey everybody, this is Patrick Donahoe. I'm joined by my good pal, colleague, dear friend, Gary Pinkerton, and we are doing episode two of a three-part series on real estate. This episode is called "Home Sweet Home," the ins and outs of where you lay your head. All right, so Gary, what do you what do you think about our previous episode? Let's recap that quickly. Uh, maybe for those who are just listening or watching this episode, um, you know, I think it was important to me. I love talking about the philosophy behind just property and real estate and how human beings can use it and essentially, you know, express their creativity and their insights and intuitions and and whatever to improve it and have multiple uses of it, uh, but what do you take from it? Like, what are the the biggest things you uh, have
1: realized around just the nature of uh, of property, the principles of real estate? Yeah. So, I mean, my biggest aha moment from uh, that that uh, podcast and also our prep for it, our conversations was that everything happens on property or at a property. So that was that was a huge takeaway, and we talked a few minutes about that. Uh, as far as my passion on the topic, uh, I am, you know, I call myself the real estate guy here at Paradigm Life, and and I love to talk with clients and attract clients who are equally uh, interested in it. Fundamentally, and the reason I'm so passionate about it is not because of the tenants and toilets, phone calls you get. It's not even about the cash flow, uh, and it's not really about um, the growing of wealth long term and uh, protecting yourself from inflation. All these things we're going to get into. Uh, it is. It is really about continuing propagating the experiment that was created under the philosophy of John Locke that we talked about, and really that to have freedom, you have to have property mm-hmm. and the ability to control it and, and grow it and and uh, just you know um, improve your own life through acquiring and growing and and best use of real estate. Yep.
0: So this topic I think is interesting because. Uh, i feel where a person resides is is really important and there's so yeah. many different there's so many varying opinions of should you rent should you own uh you know do i do a 15-year mortgage do i do a 30year mortgage do i do a big down payment do i do a low down payment how do i determine yeah. how much money I, or how much home i can afford i mean there's so much that goes into it and it can get confusing right and i can yeah. see why people you know tend to gravitate this way or that way which you know tends to be just you know, I would say the extension or drafting behind the philosophy of somebody else without really getting into, okay, well, why do they have that opinion? Right? Is there another way? Maybe that other way is better for me. So I'm excited to get into this conversation because it's, it's a decision. Everybody is going to be making,
1: right? If you haven't already, you've already made it and you're going to be probably making it in the future again. Yeah. So, and it says so much about the individual, right? About their personality, about um, how they think, right? Mm -hmm. Just the house. Like you can't tell everything about a person, but once you know who lives there and then you see the house, you'll know a lot about that person. Mm -hmm. For example, Warren Buffett's house, like a pretty conservative house, but when you know what he's worth, you know a lot about the guy and how he thinks, right? And and so uh, a lot of people, because of that, they wrap up their identity in their house, right? And it's a big part about them and Mm -hmm. sometimes it's about their ego and what's on social media and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I'm kind of the other side. I'm a little bit more on the Warren Buffett side. It's all kind of about the numbers, Mm And, and and so for me, I don't attach that much to where I lay down my head. Mm-hmm. If I don't lay down my head here tomorrow because that all fell apart, I'll mm-hmm. lay down my head over here somewhere, yeah. right? And so, but most people are, that is the, I would say the uh, the small part of, of humans. I, I would mm-hmm. say that a majority, the minority is what I was trying to come up with, yeah. the majority uh, really, really tied their identity to it. So again, it's a really important
0: decision. Yep. So this is uh, this brings up a cool a cool story that I heard and and kind of made the connection as we were mm-hmm. preparing for uh, the podcast. Uh, so I'm I'm a Utah Jazz fan and love going to games. It's, it's frustrating at times. <laughs> Actually, it's frustrating more more than it's uh, exciting, which makes the excitement and when they win all the more you know.
1: I thought I was because more you were a Prince fan, so I, I misunderstood. All right, now, now <laughs> i am not gonna talk about the story. So th- yeah, so the
0: so Gary talked about Prince, right? So most people know the artist formerly known as Prince and he's, he's uh, passed on at this point. Uh, but there's a really cool story that came out when Carlos Boozer was playing for the jazz. So Carlos Boozer uh, was I think playing for LA and got a really awesome contract. One of the biggest contracts out there to come and play for the jazz uh, moved here, but he kept his mansion uh, and I think it was a uh, Bel Air mm-hmm. and he kept it there uh, because Prince wanted to rent the home from him. Uh, And he was like, yeah, I mean, and it was a, I can't remember what the amount of money was, but it was a lot. It was a lot of money. And so he rented the home to Prince and then uh, Boozer got hurt, uh, hurt his knee and he went to have surgery in L.A. So he thought he'd just stop by his house to see, you know, see how everything was going. And he, you know, almost had a heart attack because he showed up and there was this weird symbol on the gate. He goes inside and like everything's purple and gold. And he's losing his mind. He's on the phone with his attorneys. And he's like, what? Because what Prince had done is he, as you just mentioned, Gary, he had taken you know his identity and through the extension of property, started to make Carlos Boozer's home his property. Yeah. And so he's freaking out. And then he gets a call from Prince. And Prince at the time was, I think he was on tour somewhere. And Prince was like, listen, like, I'm going to wire you like half a million dollars right now and I will sign a contract where everything will be the exact same way it was when the lease is up. Uh, and he held to his word and Boozer got a big check and and he'd removed expensive statues, he had done some See, really yeah. expensive stuff for sure. So I think he put in like some, you know, disco club in the basement <laughs> or something like this I mean you could you could look it up online it's pretty uh, pretty interesting. But the reason why we bring that that story up, right, a couple of things. Uh, first, there's homeowner, right? And then there's uh, renter, right? So rent and own. But then you have essentially a, someone's desire to make property their own mm-hmm. okay? and what they're willing to pay to make property their own, right? And obviously, from an exchange standpoint, if it's renting and owning, there has to be an equal exchange because obviously Boozer, right, did this contract, signed this lease, assuming that Prince would just pay to live there. Right. It, not pay to make the house his own. <laughs> right. So anyway, so the, the idea is like, listen, your primary residence is whether it's renting or owning it's a big decision and it's not simply a practical mathematical decision, right? There's some emotional reasons. There's psychological reasons. Okay? So you have to weigh and balance all of those. So let's kind of get into, I would say some of the primary things that you're balancing when looking at owning, when looking at, uh, renting, uh, when
1: to make the transition. What do you think Gary? Well, yeah, so and just thinking about Prince's mindset there, right? Like I'm not sure he's a mathematician, like I'm pretty sure he was not, <laughs> but he had, he probably like hired some, yeah. and I'm sure he had accountants who told him that's not a really <sighs> good financial idea, so why would he do it? Why, why would you spend so much money that you could have bought a decent house, not that house, but he could have bought a decent house, right? Uh, he could have paid somebody else to change it the way he wanted it and, and you know, gone through that kind of a process. But the reason I think he did it is because of all of the, uh, I would call it baggage that comes along with home ownership. Like there's a lot, like you lose mobility. That's a huge one. And in today's world and in, in the world where we're getting towards, um, you, know, you know, I think we have a recession coming. I think we're gonna see some unemployment. That's just kind of my projection or my prediction. But in times like that, or times with COVID or things when the landscape changes on you. You know, everybody says artificial intelligence is gonna change the landscape. I have no doubt it will but so did when we got rid of the typewriter. And so your ability to adapt also means that you can be uh, geographically agnostic. And so when you put down roots with a house that is not uh, a, a good one for uh, multiple uses, so it's not an Airbnb house for some reason, uh, it's not one that people want to rent from you, well, you've tied yourself potentially to a job, potentially you've taken yourself off the market for other things. So mobility is huge when you're thinking about buying versus renting. So a couple
0: other things too is, you know, I would say uh, family, right? Because yeah. I think mobility really is, you know, when you're trying to find what's your, what's the place you wanna live in? Like, where's the best experience? Where's, and some people it that takes backseat to, you know, a profession, right? A job. Yeah. Uh, but obviously during, you know, COVID and, and uh, everyone having to work from home, you know, by law essentially, Right, uh companies figured out ways to to do remote work and whether that's gonna be the future or not, right? If people like started to work differently and could choose. So where they live, that was now uh front
1: seat and you know their profession was backseat. Right, <laughs> right, right. And and so if you know, along with family, like part of those aspects about family is where can your kids go to school, right? So that that has an impact, that has value. Mm-hmm. If you're renting a place that's in a good school district. Uh, people will pay more for it on a monthly basis to be able to put their kids in that school. And so maybe you, you know people or maybe you yourself have experienced needing to uh, be a geographic bachelor. I did that for like five years. Why? Because my family wanted to live up in New Jersey and we were paying my rent and the family's house. And that wasn't a good math decision, but I'm still married to that wonderful lady 25 years later. So I'm not 25 years later, but now at 25 years, and it's a result of valuing family over the just the numbers of it, right? So numbers matter but not as much as other things. So I would say let's
0: let's maybe go through before we transition to owning a home. Let's go through the the benefits of renting. So obviously you have the the mobility side of yeah. things. Yep. What
1: else incl- what else comes with renting that's appealing? Well, um all the emotional stuff we just talked about like sometimes renting helps you actually get into the school district you want. It get, helps you get mm-hmm. closer to work. Mm-hmm. Um it allows you to decide where you really want to put down roots right so many people when they get a new job or when they move to a new new location they will rent first because if you just um, want to go in there and and you know need to get your house settled so you can go to work next month or next week then you're going to make very quick uh, kind of gunshot type decisions Mm -hmm. which may end up being a really bad decision right you may dislike your next door neighbors you may realize that uh, what you saw for the market was just a short term thing. And now the market's going south on you. So you can make huge long term financial decision mistakes, because you didn't realize or you didn't think about the idea of just renting for a short period. Yep. So renting, you know, it's mobility, but it also can be on the financial side. How about yep. um, how about all the extra hidden costs, not hidden costs, but it's like the fine print on yeah. a contract <laughs> when it comes to how ownership. right? Yep. There's a cost of time. I'm, you know, I'm the new pool guy at my house. I don't know if I look like a pool guy, but I'm the pool guy because we used to have a pool guy. I'm also, my wife is now the yard person because we had a homeowners association, right? And so we reduced the cost there, but the time cost went up. So when you're renting, you don't necessarily have
0: those, right? right. If the, right. the toilet breaks or, you know, the lawn needs, it's like, that is all essentially included in, mo- in most rent. Obviously there's, you know, there's ex- uh, exceptions, right? But you have a lot of like that maintenance and time to upkeep the
1: property. Right, that are part of rent, exactly, and and sometimes it can go the other way because you know. So, um, what is the cost associated with uh, not having the wall colors that you like? You know, and, and maybe you can't do that in the place you're going to go rent. Yep. So, I mean, Prince taught us that at some cost you can do it. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it that it was Boozer. I would like. I would have been like, God, you yeah, give I'm me no a kidding. million. If you can wire five hundred thousand, give me a million, and then I'll let you paint the walls purple. That's right. So you know, so so some of it's financial, but I would say on both renting, I, I think if I had to really sum them up. The renting side is more convenient. It's an easier solution. Um, You know, it's like uh, I could cook. I could learn how to cook. Something I could go find all the ingredients, or I could just pull out my credit card, right? So it's kind of like that with renting. Renting is pulling out your credit card and solving it with money. Um, And buying is a larger commitment in both time and money, ongoing potentially ongoing expenses. Uh, It's just more involved. So let's let's bring up one one other thing. So we have a we have a friend
0: right. Uh, Jason Hartman, and uh, incredible guy, owns probably a lot of real estate mm-hmm. all over uh, the country. Uh, I believe in other countries as well. Maybe he hasn't. And actually, no, he doesn't own in other countries. It's one of his principles. <laughs> <laughs> own the own here, own local. And, but but he rents everywhere, right? Yeah. He rents, uh, and you know he does it because oftentimes you find that in the area that you rent, okay, if you bought a home. Whether it's the maintenance, the mortgage payment, it is the margin of difference is huge, right? Whereas mm-hmm. you're able to rent for much lower than the full cost of ownership if you had to uh, if you had to buy, right? So this kind of leads into the financial side of things, yeah. right? So Robert Kiyosaki, many of you are familiar with him. If you're not, he is written uh, "Rich Dad Poor Dad" in numerous books. After that, uh, "Rich Dad Poor Dad" is is still uh, the number one best selling book on personal finance, and he makes some pretty I would say against the uh, grain claims, right? And one of those claims is that your home is not uh, an asset, mm-hmm. right? So we believe that, saw it. He makes very good points in
1: there. Uh, at the same time, there's some missing pieces as part of the calculation. Yeah, so the basic buzz phrase, right? Your home is not an asset is easily uh, defendable and it has really improved the financial knowledge of a large uh, number of people who have read it. And so he, he you know, wanted to dumb it down so that it was something that was easily understood. And it's just simply that you don't have cash flow coming in. So something that puts money in your pocket is an asset. Something that takes money out of your pocket is uh, a liability, right? And so he says your house is a liability and not an asset. That's very easy to understand. Yet in our accompanying uh, podcast and tutorial, we'll talk about that's not necessarily true when you bring in everything associated with life in America, Right, so here we have inflation. We have, um, you know, we, we also have, so our property values are appreciating. If you don't live in your house, you have to do what? You have to pay money to somebody else, and so you're putting money into the mortgage or buying or paying off your house. Um, then you also get tax deductions, uh, and you can make improvements, which you get to have the value of. And so there's that whole benefit, and and what we were talking about about the non like like mechanical or monetary side of it, where you get a uh, better quality of life, your family's happier. So there's a lot of different reasons, but on on the actual mechanics or or money side of it, um the very basic level, yes, it does not immediately put money in your pocket, but it does grow wealth over time. And often, I would say a majority of of people, uh, wealthy people in America who have purchased and owned and operated their own properties over time have gotten wealthy because of it.
0: So let's just let's just kind of draw the line in the sand. And that line, you know, and this really comes to this claim: your home is not an asset. the The line is, with exceptions, but the primary rule is that you are going to exchange money to live somewhere. That's right. Let's just kind of draw draw that line. Okay, now it's typically going to rent or it's going to own. Okay, now when it comes to home ownership, you now have to exchange more. Okay, you have typically uh, a down payment. Okay. There's taxes, there's insurance. I mean, they're those types of costs, but you have to put money as a down payment. Now, obviously there are some, you know, mortgage mm-hmm. loans that you can get. that don't have very much down payment at all. Let's just assume you have to make a down payment, right? Which sometimes is not the case with rent. Sometimes it's first and months, you know, rent to you know, security deposit, but you still, you know, get that back. But let's look at putting a down payment into a house, right? So that yeah. is, you know, essentially money coming out of your pocket. Right. Okay. Now, kiyosaki's definition okay an asset is something that puts money into your pocket you can't argue right that putting money into a down payment of a home puts money in your pocket because you would have had to have paid somebody else to live somewhere else right if you did not buy this home does that make sense that's right okay so now the idea is all right from that standpoint okay you have monthly payments right you uh, have taxes you have insurance you also get some tax benefits associated with ownership, right? So tax benefits, you essentially can deduct the interest of a mortgage okay, against your earned income, right? So it essentially uh, creates some tax benefit. In addition, you have inflation, right? So inflation, we just all operate in a monetary system that we can't control or <laughs> really influence, right? And it's a debt-based system. And in order for the economy to grow, money must be printed, Obviously, there's innovation and growth in that respect. But for the most part, it's, you know, obviously printing money. Uh, stimulus is what grows an economy. So with that in mind, there's asset appreciation. Now, looking at real estate in general, especially residential real estate, okay, and there's exceptions too, but for the most part, residential real estate will appreciate pretty consistently over the course of time, right? Because of how much demand there is and is kind of part of very big part uh, of the you know, the uh, US economic, uh, US economy, you know, the monetary system and so forth. Anything you want to add to that? Does that make sense? So I'm basically saying these are some benefits, right? Your house is going to appreciate, right? You're going to get some tax benefits associated with uh, the mortgage. So there are some benefits to take into consideration that you would not get if you were
1: renting. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And, and so like every other hard asset, you know, um, we have, we have friends, we have, you can see easily in marketing where people will make the claim that Well, houses go up faster than, I don't know, gold goes up or other assets, right? Like, let's look at these different hard assets and, you know, there you got raw land, you got a a business or an industrial building maybe, and then you got a a house and the house has gone up historically faster or or at a higher rate than other things. And I would argue that if you, if you make the timeline long enough, a hundred, 200 years, right, uh, then everything that has not gone into extinction has gone up at the same rate. Otherwise you price yourself out of it, right? You can't have houses going up 2% higher than gold or lumber and, and still be using a house, right? It would, we wouldn't be able to afford houses or maybe the top 1% of people and the rest of us would be living outside, right? So it just is a storehouse of value, uh, which offsets directly however fast the monetary system is going down, right? So every, you know, however fast we're devaluing the currency, you're putting money in a house. You could put it in gold, but it sucks living inside gold, right? And it's just not as convenient. It doesn't have as many uses. But the big thing that I think we were gonna get to here really shortly, so I'll just introduce it, is the the beautiful ability in America to have a long-term fixed rate locked in loan that is typically below the rate of inflation because it's being subsidized by the taxes, by by the taxpayers, right? I'm not saying it's a great idea. I don't like inflation personally, but it's here. And we're living in that environment. And so uh, it provides you the ability to, you know, our good friend Jason, again, one of, one of the things that he says all the time is that, you know, I could buy gold or I could buy a property. And he said a gold guy was selling me gold one time. And so I went through this little litany with him and I said, do you know anybody who would rent my gold for me? No, they don't do that. So do you know anybody who would lend me money to buy my gold? No. And so when you're looking to buy hard assets, you can just pay $100,000 for $100,000 gold or you can buy, pay $100,000 for a primary residence that you're not planning on renting out. And it's protecting you. But then when you only have to put like 20% down, now it's like you have borrowed the money to buy a bunch of gold, right? So you've locked in those hard assets. And I think that's a huge impact. All right. So obviously, there's lots of lots of nuggets here. uh, But as we get into math, it's hard
0: sometimes, right? Right? When You're talking about it. So what we're doing is uh, there's gonna be a tutorial available to uh, to listeners. Uh, So just go to Uh, the link that's in the show notes, and you'll be able to access that, uh, that tutorial. And in that tutorial, it's essentially going to show the actual math of renting versus owning. Okay. And if you are putting a down payment, you are putting money into buying a house. It's going to show you over the course of time, given certain assumptions, is there a return? Are you better off renting or are you better off owning and what you would have to earn with that money to match what you would get by owning that home? And so we're going to actually show that.
1: Yeah. And one big key element as you're watching that is we will, we'll specifically point out um, if I had to instead rent a place and that's a game changer when it comes to that.
0: So a couple of other things that we're going to do with that, with that tutorial. And we'll, we'll talk right now because there is, there's definitely perspective out there, right? That I understand why the perspective uh, exists and why the philosophy exists. There's good points that are made, which is big down payment, small down payment. If you have the capacity or 15 year mortgage versus 30 year mortgage. So, obviously you can weigh both. There's pros and cons. Okay. But when it comes to opinion, when it comes to somebody's observation and they explain something in a certain way, okay, in order for it to be a good explanation, it has to be comprehensive. And part of that comprehensiveness must be the math behind it, right? So we're going to actually demonstrate in those tutorials as well. Okay. It's like, all right, here's here's a 15-year mortgage. Here's a 30-year mortgage. Here's the, the, real, uh, the real difference. Because there's some claims that are made in regards to you know, a 30-year mortgage where all the interest goes to the bank, whereas a 15-year mortgage, okay, not as much interest goes to the bank, and that is not entirely uh, accurate. And so, we're going to demonstrate that with math instead of trying to talk through the math in a <laughs> podcast. But let's uh, before we move to uh, this next uh, this next episode, which is going to be real estate investment, let's talk about equity, right? Because a big down payment creates equity. Okay, a 30-year mortgage. Right creates in theory a less equity than a 15-year mortgage. Okay, when it just comes to the payment and what gets applied, principal and interest. So let's talk about equity. So what is equity? Okay, uh, why is it valuable? What are the benefits? But also, what are
1: the limitations? Yeah. So equity is just the value, stored value. It's like potential energy. If you remember back to you know physics, right? You have you have energy in motion, which is you know uh, pushing a car forward or something. And, and that's cash flow. And equity is potential energy. It's 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 uh, cash that you could get theoretically, right? But some of the um, problems or the challenges of equity and things you need to hold on to and the risks that come with it are all of the uh, details associated with, you know, devils in the details, right? So how do I get that equity, right? There's a, there's a lot of different ways to get it. You can uh, pledge it as collateral and borrow it. You can sell it. Um, you can... Um, gosh, how else, you, you kind of traded or, or something like that. And so uh, how do I get the equity? And if it's my primary residence, do I want to do that? A lot of people have different opinions on that. Uh, but I guess what I would say is that equity can be fleeting. And that's the other part. So not only is it, you know, it is definitely illiquid, meaning it's, you can't just snap your fingers and get it tomorrow. Even if you say, oh, no, no, Gary, I got this one solved. I talked to my banker and he said, you yeah, got a line of credit that I can use anytime. The banker might have woken up today and been told or decided on his own that this is not a good idea anymore and taking that away, right? So you don't actually own the equity if somebody else just gave you a little ticket that you can turn in to get the equity out of your property. So that's you know that's something like, that's why I push back often. It's not always the right answer to pay off your mortgage, right? That that could be putting you in potential risk because of the illiquid side of it. Um, the other thing is that that equity is fleeting. So maybe the other reason that the banker doesn't lend you the money when you decide to go get it is because you missed a market report that your property's not worth what it was before because somebody's decision that the factory moved out of town and now there's unemployment and all of a sudden no one wants to live here and your property's not worth that anymore or they found out that it was on an old gas station property and you know there's there's a oil and gas everywhere underground so it could be any number of things that results in your equity not being what you thought it was and if you didn't pull the cash out before you found that out it's it's not there so it can be fleeting and it can be illiquid so Equity again, I think the technical right would be the difference between
0: asset value or what you can sell it for and uh, whatever loan or obligations are against it, that you are right. So that's the, that's the difference. But then that difference, the only way to, for that difference to materialize, right, is through getting a loan against it, which right, has all sorts of contingencies associated with it. What you could sell it for, which is, has contingencies as well, because, you know, the true value of a home isn't what Zillow says. The true value of a home is what someone will pay for it. Right. And that can change from one day to the next one month to the next. Okay. And then, you know, there's uh, other claims against your property from the tax commission, as well as, you know, the mortgage holder, where if you default on those, they essentially have access to uh, your equity to make, uh, make them whole. Right. That's right. There's lots of limitations there as at the same time, you can put it on your balance sheet, right? It's, you know, it's it's basically the delta between your assets and uh, liability, your asset and your liability. So, looking at equity again, equity is valuable in a sense; it has economic value. Uh, but as we get into the perpetual wealth strategy and ways in which you can apply the principles and the strategies of the perpetual wealth strategy, that is where where we're able to show, okay, you can have equity in multiple locations, especially when it comes to home ownership, right? And so, looking at equity inside of a piece of property, if you had options where you had just much just as much equity if not more but you didn't have the contingencies that equity has inside of a property okay, now it comes down to okay maybe i should adjust my strategy adjust my thinking the end result obviously is to maximize
1: your wealth but do it in a way that has the highest degree of certainty possible we were just talking about you know i we use something that's uh, that patrick has Uh, already introduced in the podcast and I recommend you go back and look through it and it's the perpetual wealth strategy and one of the elements of that kind of the framework through which I um, discuss wealth with all of my clients is called a hierarchy of wealth right and it's just a a framework and it's an idea of if you were to build an Egyptian pyramid I want to start at the bottom and get the bottom foundational layers right and then build up from there and it's a relationship where things on the bottom are of are where you have uh, capital, you have resources, and you are in the highest amount of control. That stuff is certain; it's guaranteed to be there, and it's liquid, so you can go get it. And then when you move up from there, you give up uh, some control, and therefore you take on risk. And maybe what you're giving up in control is the ability to get it immediately. And so just barely above the guaranteed liquid certain portion is our primary residence, and and so it's in you know technically in tier two, but it's right at the bottom because you have a ton of control over that thing. Not everything. You don't control whether the factory moves out of town like we talked about in the previous segment and you lose some, some of the equity because its valuation goes down. But you do control about whether the maintenance gets done uh, and, and how you treat the place, right? And whether you make the payments or not and still hold on to the asset. So all of that stuff you do control. So um, you know, the, petro- the perpetual wealth strategy with this foundation underneath it so that you can uh, hold equity in a place where it's liquid, you know, cash reserves... It provides some protection. is really important uh, when you're getting into something that's illiquid and a long-term commitment, like buying a primary residence. You don't want to take all of your available cash and put it into your property because you could lose your house and everything you just worked for to build up for that, just because you had a roof failure or an HVAC issue that got you behind on your credit cards, and then you couldn't make the payments, and now everything's gone. And you just look back on it and you're like, what happened six months ago? I had enough money for a down payment on a house, and today I'm homeless with no money, right? And so recognizing the illiquidity of the equity of just the unique aspects of this asset of this, not so simple decision about buying the place where you're going to lay your head down is really important to understand how do I set myself up for success? And it all comes back to looking at life through the lens of hierarchy of wealth and making sure there's something below it that keeps this thing standing upright. So
0: I'll add a couple of things to that. I think the perpetual wealth strategy, and if you haven't watched the the, the series or listened to the series Right, there's three fundamental tenets. Right, it's it's cash flow protection, uh, and then and then wealth. And depending on where you're at in life, it could be wealth accumulation that might be the objective. Uh, you might be later in life, and it's wealth distribution. Okay, you may be focused on uh, distributing wealth through your estate planning, which we call legacy. So right now, we'll just talk cash flow protection and wealth, and we believe that these tenets are followed in sequence. So before investing, before really, I mean, cash flow is the most important. It's money coming in. And money going out, you know, over the course of time, as I've been doing this, you know, since 2007, uh, I actually had my first exposure to uh, personal finance uh, when I was in college and I was working in a call center that essentially was a nonprofit that helped people avoid bankruptcy by negotiating credit card balances right into, you know, one little payment, reducing the interest rate, sometimes reducing the balance it was fascinating to me because it's when i saw just how much debt people have like what people burden uh, get burdened with Uh, and it's not because they did it intentionally it's because they did not have a cash flow strategy they didn't have a strategy to really look at okay money coming in money going out how do i determine this is the money coming in this is what i should spend on a car payment this is what i should spend uh, on a house this is how much i should save okay over the course of time and even getting into being a financial advisor most people, even those that have means, a lot of means, right, without a cash flow strategy, they find themselves in a very difficult position. So understanding where your cash flow is is gonna be paramount to knowing how much house you can afford. Now what you said, Gary, which is I don't know, sometimes I think we we look at life and we just assume we're bulletproof and nothing bad is ever going to happen right? Then your brakes go out, your dry, your washer and dryer go out, your refrigerator goes out, your kid needs braces, You kid needs to go to emergency room, right? You have to put a deductible, you know, on your health. It's like there are cash needs that are above and beyond cash flow, right? That most people do not have in liquidity, right? So what yeah. we consider as part of cash flow is like, you know, two, three months uh, of your expenses and liquidity to buffer, right? Those, I would say, expenses that come out of, you know, come out of nowhere. Then protection is also important, right? We talk about... Uh, wealth accumulation, right, is often the, the focal point of investment, but wealth accumulation, right, it's contingent on everything working out, right, with the investment, but also working out in life. It doesn't take into consideration if you get disabled, if you're sued, if you get divorced, right? There's so many other things that can happen in life that can completely disrupt that compounding curve of wealth accumulation that people aren't, aren't adequately protected for. And by the time they realize that there is, you know, some risk and vulnerability, uh, liability, it's, uh, it's too late and they have to start over, right? Or that compound wealth curve of wealth accumulation
1: takes a big dip and you got to start that curve all over again. Yeah. And so, you know, cash flow is obviously uh, what keeps us, it's, it's like blood for our, our bodies, right? Like if the heart's not pumping, if there's no blood flow, we're in trouble, right? Uh, and so cash flow is what keeps our lives rolling. Um, yet I think what many people, um, you know, many people will say that cash is trash, right? And and what they mean by that, I believe is that it's not earning anything. It's being devalued in the bank with inflation and it's not earning anything for me. And then that's the end of the conversation and they don't have emergency fund. They don't have any cash in the bank. Why don't you have cash? Cash is trash. It drove me nuts that it wasn't earning. And so I got it. I put it somewhere in an, in a property that's illiquid. And, and so now they're down this path of really taking on a lot of risk. So you can generate cash flow by snapping your fingers if you have money sitting somewhere where it's liquid in your control, right? I had a client uh, that I was speaking with recently who had a negative $2,000 a month cash flow. He was bleeding $2,000 a month and it was stressing him out. So he had money sitting in the bank and he used that money to pay off the loan. And so then the cash flow problem went away. But the problem now is that if some separate unrelated thing comes up, now he doesn't have any options, right? Whereas he could have just taken $2,000 a month out of that money he had sent in the bank and, and made it zero cash flow, right? So you can solve challenges if you have an emergency fund. So in that scenario we were talking about in the previous segment where the air conditioning system goes out, which results in the loss of your house, boy, wouldn't it have been nice to be able to solve that challenge with cash. Like that truly is an emergency because you know, being homeless is an emergency. (laughs) And so just having the cash sitting around, really, really important. So you have to remember the liquidity side when you're getting ready to buy a house like this. Yep. So I think what we're trying to say as we kind of
0: transition into uh, the next episode is, you know, we, we, we look at personal finance, right. In the context of the perpetual wealth strategy, right. And the idea in the end, I'll keep saying it, right. It's, it's to maximize, it's to optimize the amount of wealth, but uh, increase the amount of certainty and say achieve your financial goals your financial targets what you want to live in how you want to live in life the lifestyle of your dreams okay but do it with the highest degree of certainty possible so that's why we're going through this because real estate investment even primary residence ownership right it fits within this framework it fits within this context okay and sometimes people buy too much house sometimes people buy too little house okay and that has an effect on life experience family experience just as much as buying too much house and being stressed because of payments and stressed because of maintenance and right so looking at really making the best decision there's a calculated way to do it that's what we specialize in it's one of the reasons why we're doing uh, this podcast and why we continue to uh, to educate you our uh, valuable clients uh, even though this is a podcast you know for for anyone that wants uh, wants to listen but those who have you know uh, done business with us, have started to follow our strategies. The idea is to continue the education so that you know as you're making future decisions, you're just reminded of, hey, there are ways to optimize
1: your wealth. There are ways to maximize your wealth, but do it by taking less risk instead of taking more risk. And the, th- <coughs> the final thing I wanted to say on this was that you can't make this decision or any other important decision in a vacuum. I mean, mm-hmm. it's okay to you know, make a, a rash decision of what soda you want in the checkout line. Like that's a short term problem if you get it <laughs> wrong. Right. But, but making the wrong decision about what house to get, where to get one or to buy instead of rent is not something you want to take in a vacuum. And I'm not saying like you want to involve your advisors. You definitely do want to do that. But what I'm talking about is you have to take your entire financial picture uh, together as a whole to decide how does this affect everything else? And so just as a quick example, like we're thinking about what do we do in retirement? If I buy this house, am I putting my retirement at risk? Maybe, but maybe you're solving the challenge because there's a thing like a reverse mortgage that is, you know, gets a black eye from a lot of people. And the primary reason is because they always wanted to leave this house to the kids, right? They have this, this, you know, this was perfect for me 40 years ago. So why wouldn't it be perfect for my kids? Right. And what do you have? You have this phrase about, uh, PETA uh, assets, Oh, yeah, right the PETA assets. <laughs> Those that are a pain and you can finish it. Pain in the ass assets, I'll say that. <laughs> so uh, the kids generally don't want that old house that they grew up in. Like, and, and it's just not you know, the right trendy thing for today. Um, and, and so you can, if you have another way to restore the equity to the family, to keep the legacy around and still get the value out of this house, it can be a paycheck for you in mm-hmm. your retirement. And so, you know, a good friend of ours goes through this and maybe we'll make this one of our uh, tutorials as well if we have an opportunity is how can I uh, take the equity out of my primary residence mm-hmm. uh, and use it as a cash flow for the rest of my life? I don't end up having to live with my kids in their third bedroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we pass away, then they can make the decision. Do I wanna use, for example, the the money that I got from the life insurance death benefit tax-free? Do I wanna use that to pay off the house and keep it within the family? Some people make that decision. Or do I want to just let the bank have the house, take the payout amount, and keep the death benefit, mm-hmm. right? And so that's a decision you don't have if you don't holistically put all these things together and prepare for it, right? Yep. yep.
0: All right. Well, hey, thank you guys. This has been obviously, you know, uh, a discussion around something that uh, most people will will face at some uh, point or other, and, and likely multiple times. Uh, I want to reemphasize something Gary said, and then we'll then we'll move on right? There isn't a perfect decision, right? Making decisions in in a vacuum all makes sense. But reality doesn't happen in a vacuum. That's that life tomorrow is going to be different than life today. And you just don't know what's down the road. So the idea is just making the best decisions possible. So stick with us to the next segment, because as we kind of stack the principles of real estate, and then uh, put that into practice with regards to a primary residence, now we're going to associate uh, those same principles to owning property that you lease uh, and exchange uh, with, uh, with
1: others besides yourself. So stick with us to episode three.